Welcome back to our newly launched Travel College Oxford podcast series. I'm your host, and in the next couple of episodes, we will explore the minds behind the institution, our passionate staff and tutors, uncovering their personal stories and experiences, as well as delving into what we do as a college, what we teach, and probably most importantly, how we teach it touching on a deeper subject of the meaning of modern education. So get ready for our next guest and stay tuned for insightful conversations that bring Travel College Oxford to life. Our today's guest is Yash Palgat, a DPhil researcher at the University of Oxford, where he works with the Visual Geometry Group on artificial intelligence and its applications to 3D computer vision. He also serves as an AI consultant for Soft2Eye and GoBubble startups, working on AI for smart glasses. Yash is originally from India and holds a degree in electrical engineering from the Indian Institute of Technology and a master's in computer science from the University of Michigan. He was previously a research scientist at Qualcomm AI Research in San Diego, where he worked on edge computing that powers most of AI applications on your smartphones today. On top of that, when in Oxford, Yash runs weekly AI robotics clubs for our GCSE and A-level students here at Cheryl College Oxford. He is also a tutor and a course lead for our AI and Innovation Summer Camp, which runs in August each year. Aside from this, and aside from his academic research, Yash is also passionate about tabla, an Indian percussion instrument. More on this later. So, um, Yash, I'm so excited to have you as our guest today and to share your story and inspiration behind your academic research and tutoring. And I'll definitely be sharing a link to your Instagram <laughs> and website. People need to see you, you know, playing the tabla yeah. and beatboxing. So that will be shared in show notes. <laughs> but uh, welcome on the podcast. Thank you so much for finding time and your busy life to come on um, the podcast and uh, talk a bit more about yourself, your experience, your story. And I very much look forward to this conversation. Yeah, thank you, Katya. That was a very nice introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I was I, I was trying to be coherent. <laughs> um, so, uh, as you realize, we'll have to do a lot of debunking because all those yeah, concepts yeah. and words which I was just like, you know, shouting out. Makes in sense. Your, there are yeah. very, lots of jargon. A lot yeah. of jargon, a lot of acronyms. So, uh, I hope you will be able to like um, debunk those for us. Absolutely, um, yeah. and, and my first question, I suppose, is... What exactly you guys do at the Visual Geometry Group? Because I have a lot of things on my list here. Some of them are virtual and augmented reality, how hmm. AI is accelerating 3D computer vision, large vision language models, their abilities and limitations. What's next in I so many things, and it would be really great in like layman's terms if you can. Yes, we can dive can, deep into yes, each of them. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So I can start with uh, what I do currently in my PhD research. Yeah. All right. So, um, as you mentioned, I had a long journey. I went into academia in Michigan, IIT Bombay. Then I went into industry for a while and I came back to academia for a PhD. Mm. The reason I did that was um, the work I'm doing in my PhD, which is a topic called 3D computer vision, mm -hmm. is a very um, practical 
and it's something that's going to be used in most of the technologies in the next decade or, or so and that's because so let me kind of you know break it down so mm-hmm. what 3d and what computer vision means yep so computer vision is basically all the algorithms that can help machines see and understand their surroundings so if you have a robot in your house let's say mm-hmm. uh, in a few years and the robot is supposed to clean your house you know wash your utensils and stuff like that oh i love that concept exciting right <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> i'm sure prachi your lovely wife will just yes, you know yes we would love that, that will too. be your first invans- uh, investment you yep, know yep yep <laughs> absolutely so for this robot to do all these things it needs to understand what it's seeing from its camera right mm-hmm. and imagine it sees some utensils it should understand that's a utensil and it should understand it's dirty or clean how dirty it is you know all these things an intelligent being does you know like being aware of your surroundings and exactly. identifying yes awareness is the correct term here so situational awareness is what mm-hmm. what we call it and that's what computer vision is now computer vision itself is a huge area of research and it's made up of a lot of things so let's not you know um, think about exactly what things are but uh, on a high level it's about understanding your surroundings from what you see mm-hmm. now what i'm doing as a 3d computer vision you know uh, scientist is that I am dealing with content that comes in 3D. So if you have a camera, like a digital camera, what you're seeing is in 2D. You're looking at images which are in 2D, right? So it's not you're not actually having a 3D perception of depth. You don't mm-hmm. know if a ball is circle or it's just a sphere, right? So what I'm doing is actually working with 3D assets. So if you have, you know, uh, the real world, the real world is 3D, it's not 2D, right? So you have things in 3D, you know, you can yeah. touch them, you can interact with them. So basically I'm dealing with how do you, you know, interact and sense things in 3D so if you can think of augmented reality that's the first thing right. you know uh, i mentioned before so augmented reality is basically augmenting what the physical world is right so in front of us we have this table right and this table is a physical thing and if you look at this table from a camera as a human being you can understand its 3D structure you know it's flat you know what dimensions mm-hmm. it has and so on and now if i want to you know insert an object into this the scene which is not real you know i just want to insert like a baseball here like i want you to see a baseball but there is no actual baseball it's just uh, you know a virtual object so i'm basically augmenting the reality right, right. and you can imagine you have seen iron man right you know iron man yeah. too you know you know how tony stark has this uh, screen in front of him and he's interacting with objects he's like picking up things you know typing things there's no real monitor or there's no screen there it's just what he sees in his glasses right mm-hmm. he's imagining or he's um, he's being shown a screen as if it is really there but it's not right. so that's what augmented so reality like is so you like altering the the reality the reality exactly mm-hmm. and to do that you need to understand what reality is right so you need to understand this table what dimensions it is and you know what structure it has to be able to you know alter it as you said mm-hmm. so that's what augmented reality is and so what i'm doing in my research has applications in this area and it's sup- I, i think that's like the most practical most uh, down to earth application because all these other things like metaverse and uh, yeah. you know we, we hear about these things they are a little bit far off and it's hard to think you know if they're good or not for yeah. human and beings and for applications like in real life exactly so, like yeah. what do you do with i mean people ask me like you know why is meta investing so much in like this vr headsets and so on like why is apple why mm-hmm. do they have this apple vision pro so it's it's a bit difficult to answer this questions but if you think about augmented reality it's a bit more you know Tans- tangible mm-hmm. you can you can imagine so if you are a doctor and if you are performing some surgeries uh, there are some demos where um, the they can wear some glasses and they can be shown the internal structure of the patient 
in front of them so it's much easier for them to, to train operate. as well and yes. mm, excellent so so here we see like real life applications and why it is and how why we can relevant. use it yeah why we're doing it yeah. why there's so much research into it and investment great and um so that's the year um 3d computer vision uh and what about the large vision language models and you mentioned chat gpt four so this is yes. really exciting to hear about yes that. so you know all these models like chat gpt it's a type of a large language model uh, so it's only language it deals with text you know the earlier mm -hmm. versions now it's both vision and text vision, right so that's yeah. like vision language models so all these like different terms right there's a umbrella term for that which is called large world models so what this means really is a model that understands the world mm -hmm. and how they understand this is by looking at lots and lots and lots of data like chat gpt for example was trained by looking at billions of text samples from the internet so it kind of understood what text looks like and what is supposed to be looking like and and so on uh, these vision language models looked at both image and text but it's not supposed to be limited to even just vision and language imagine models which are looking at lots of audio samples so you will have a large large audio model right mm. which can generate music there are uh, there's a model called jukebox from openai that you can look it up so mm. it can generate symphonies you know if you just wow. type like hey generate uh, a jazz music snippet that i can hear in a london bar you know it will generate that for you so all these are large world models and uh, it is very exciting because it's sort of a paradigm shift in ai and which is affecting the real world because um you know how easy chat gpt is to use it's mm. on your phone you can just type stuff and you know get answers for that and there are some advanced versions of that where you know computer scientists like programmers like me use uh, github copilot which is a version of chat gpt for coding so for coding yes that's yeah. i've read about it that you can just kind of do insert certain code and then it develops it'll complete that for you for, mm. exactly it'll, like, i just write two lines of code and it'll give you the next 100 lines and wow. it makes my life so easy because now i don't have to think about what code i need to write and you know like you know yeah. spend like hours uh, figuring out the, the stuff so it made my life as a programmer maybe 10 times more productive efficient more efficient like, yeah and the same thing uh, we were just talking about businesses right all these businesses around the world uh, are developing really you know uh, amazing products based on chat gpt or the related models like you know chat gpt is not open sourced but there are some alternatives of chat gpt there's uh, something called llama from facebook mm -hmm. which is completely open source and which is like freely available so businesses can use it for commercial purposes without having to pay anything mm. so that's another thing you know maybe you can dive into right what's open source versus closed source and uh, yeah what can you explain it a little bit more absolutely yeah. absolutely well <laughs> <laughs> we're just like nodding our heads here like yeah yeah no, it's, it's really cool no but it's it's, yeah. it's really great to be able to because yeah we, we are we are just surrounded by all this different yeah jargon and and we hardly sometimes even understand yeah. what's and yeah so it's so great if you can like so, break it down for us yeah my my biggest source for all this stuff is twitter I, like i literally <laughs> all the people i follow are like ai people and you know they post this exciting stuff and that's mm. how i learn but um, okay let me like narrow it down to what open source versus closed mm -hmm. source is and it's very important really really important in today's world and it's a big debate happening like what is good and what is bad so open source is where uh, let's say i develop some sort of an algorithm right and as a phd researcher right now i don't have any commercial you know ambitions i don't want to commercialize the algorithm i'm just doing it because it's cool right so i i develop it it looks very amazing and i 
put my entire implementation of the algorithm like all the code all the required things on publicly available websites right, right. and other people let's say someone from india or like someone from china he he or she can use can my use algorithm it. so you make it available for general exactly anyone can use it uh, there are different types of licenses you know how much do i want to uh, make it usable mm. so there's something called mit license which is which basically means you can use it as you want mm-hmm. no restrictions make it commercial you earn money from that don't have to worry about what i you know think about your that. feelings exactly <laughs> about yeah. it yeah. it's completely open like you know um, so that's mit there's something called a non commercial license and this is where the interesting thing about chatgpt and facebook comes in uh, meta not facebook mm. so a non commercial license so basically when meta made this large language model called llama llama mm-hmm. the annual llama uh, which is like an alternative to chatgpt so they open sourced llama so they made the the model and everything available so people can use it but they added a caveat that you can use it only for non commercial purposes right so you can't make money out of it you can't make money out of it so as a researcher if i want to make cool things out of it i can do it but if i am a business and i want to commercialize it use it for my product i can't do it so that's basically cheating right so meta is claiming that they have open source something but it's not really open source because no one can compete with them because they can't use it And if you want to use it for commercial purposes, do you need to pay some sort of license? Then fee? they would have a different license for that, which has some fees right. attached to it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And okay. then that becomes same as ChatGPT because you have to pay for GPT-4 that you use. You if know. you want a more like advanced version, more advanced of version it, yeah. for business. Mm. But then I think uh, it's interesting because Llama at least had its model. parameters because if you want to run any ai model there's mm-hmm. something called the parameters like some weights model weights that you need to have access to to run the model so actually meta completely open sourced so they made it available publicly with that caveat mm-hmm. i mentioned of non commercial thing at the same time if you think about gpt4 what open ai has now gpt4 does not have anything commercial level, anything open sourced right so neither the code nor the model weights are publicly available so no one really knows what gpt4 is like what kind of algorithm is going inside like what mm. architecture or what design it has no one knows it. people can people can use it people can pay for it but you but can't really see the structure like exactly they don't know why yeah. it works so well how many parameters it has so that's completely closed source now the reason i mentioned it and the reason it's important to you know understand today is because uh, in the us parliament and in the uk parliament there is a big debate happening uh, what is good so open ai obviously is mm. pushing for closed source because they don't want to open source models but at the same time a lot of other scientists around the world say that it's bad to have closed source because the community as a whole should be able to decide and should be able to play with uh, models and know what's going on underneath because open ai can develop something uh, public if the public has no idea what's underneath mm-hmm. that thing then how do you know it's safe how do you know you know right. what limitations it has and so on and it promotes further research i suppose because then exactly. you know like you may not think about everything and then somebody else can take it and then just make it even better or more yeah. sort of yeah so as a researcher uh, open source is ideal but the argument against it is that then it can be misused too because uh, there was something called uh, uh, 4chan gpt uh, you can you know also look mm-hmm. it up so basically someone took um, one of the open source large language models and they trained or fine tuned is what it the what the technical term is they fine tuned these models on really offensive tweets from some channel like from reddit or something not tweets like uh, really offensive posts or messages on in, in internet on purpose and they made this open source so now the model 
which has been trained on this this kind of data only outputs offensive stuff right. and they did this for fun because but now they just create it as it can be misused mm. a lot like I mean, you can use it for cyber bullying i mean you can use it for lots of bad things right so that should not happen and that's the kind of drawback of open source because if you don't have any regulations or any uh, uh, kind of bottlenecks in place then people can just do whatever was and then it's so difficult to trace as well yeah you yeah, can't who, who, yeah who is doing it because it's yeah yes. this is fascinating thank yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> i feel now much more aware and, yeah. and and i hope our listeners are also um you know appreciate this kind of a really you know structured explanations because it, it, it does help to kind of like understand what lies behind these big terms um my next second question is um what led you to become a research scientist and subsequently an ai consultant because you're now advising <clears throat> for a us and and also a uk based yeah. startups mm. so could you talk a little bit more about um you know sort of i don't know maybe not your complete childhood years but sure. yes yeah, sort of what led you to go um into that direction and, and also about your work uh as, a, as an ai consultant okay so um to answer the first question about why i got into research mm. so i think ai is the cutting edge today like you know lots of problems are unsolved in ai because i mean problems are unsolved in every field but in ai especially it's such a new field that there's so many things to be done that's one reason the second reason is i think it's really cool Uh, and i'm it excited about it <laughs> exactly it's like so exciting right and um, i had a strong background in mathematics and computer science beforehand so uh, it also made me good at these things and uh, kind of to capitalize on that plus to have fun that's i mean i'm being completely honest here it is not because i wanted to like do some social good or like solve some problems mm. it's purely because it's fun and now doing social good and solving actually important problems is like an outcome of that mm. that i can do now with all the knowledge i have you know uh, kind of gained from my uh, colleagues and my advisors and my from my research so that's the first thing and um, about the consultancy i think um, as i said like again ai is a very new thing but also that ai is becoming fairly common in all the businesses because of the uh, progress that happened in the last 2 3 years it is much easier now to use ai as a tool than it was you know in the last decade and what that means is that a lot of businesses a lot of commercial enterprises are using ai as a tool for their products right mm. at the same time they might not have the ai expertise to make this you know highly effective and that's where i come in as an ai consultant so what i'm doing for these startups so the first startup soft eye is working on augmented reality uh, so which um, we know now what it is yes <laughs> yeah. so you you, you uh, may have heard about something called google glass yes, a few yeah. years back 2011 something and it was a failed project but the idea was exciting that you can wear some glasses and the glasses can show you like you know altered reality so they are doing that same thing now it has again become a new thing uh, meta has a new product with ray-ban they are making some glasses which can mm. you know do these things so this startup works in that area and uh, i am helping them design algorithms that can be deployed on these smart glasses right so um, so i'm basically consulting in that that manner the other startup in the uk called gobubble it's i think it's doing a really uh, solving a really important problem which is about content moderation so imagine you ho- have all these private chats or even public chats you know these live streams uh, on twitch youtube uh, instagram all these things these live streams or chats can contain a lot of harmful things 
it can be or even misleading misleading like yeah fake information yes false information um uh, racist things like misogynistic comments lots of bad things right so which these things should not be out there um it's bad mm-hmm. and it's useless you know why are they out there first of all so this startup is kind of solving the problem of content moderation is how can you moderate these live streams and uh, like kind of reduce the frequency of these uh, offensive content mm. so uh, they're using again large language models like like chatgpt not chatgpt exactly to like identify exactly. when it is yeah but what about like twitter and meta and because they already have this social media platforms like and they should have something in place or is it still very much like powered by humans where um, you have this just i don't know like yeah hundreds of people trying to moderate every post so h- how does it happen nowadays so i don't have exact information but i think uh from what i you know heard mm. from other people is that it's lot lot less humans now and it's very much ai to mm. moderate or at least monitor these uh, social media platforms but um, it's kind of tailored to a certain kind of things like twitter has things tailored to uh, news articles or you know mm-hmm. uh, kind of harmful things harmful tweets for chats it's a slightly different thing so that's the thing about ai right um, building general purpose algorithms that can work in every problem is a bit difficult but building specialized algorithms is more easy effective also easier and yeah easier and more effective, more effective. Mm-hmm. so if you can build a general content moderation engine that works for both ai uh, sorry both twitter meta and uh, Instagram or Twitch live streams that's great but it's not possible right now so people build specialized engines so Twitter has their own stuff Meta has their own stuff and things like yeah. that No that's um also you've mentioned um because of the obviously you know AI cutting edge edge and the fact that it's something where i think everyone and all businesses will now need to embrace it whether they want yes. it or not if yeah. you want to stay afloat and competitive and um this then also translates into education Absolutely. and how you prepare the you know the young minds so yeah. to speak because there is still education is still very much um you know in the traditional sense textbooks still hard copy yeah. we are trying to go digital but exams are still written yeah. you know uh, by hand and um how you see and what would be your advice obviously for those who are currently in their let's say secondary education school level looking ahead where they may end up you know with their career yeah. um i know you mentioned you have a strong background in um computer science and math and i suppose this is something which is essential if you really want to build your career in yeah. you know innovative technology and ai so you can't really I'm a humanities person so I think I'm just <laughs> going to be completely useless. <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. Yeah, but, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what what would be your advice sort of like uh for those at least who who are passionate about math and have, you know, or, and STEM subjects, yeah. how they can um um capitalize on that and maybe, you know, to work towards something where, you know, you can then be um in demand and competitive um yeah. going forward yeah exactly so given what you said right i think uh, ai has become as basic requirement as you know people learn uh, languages or social science or math or mm. science in school so ai has become that basic so you need to learn ai at the same level and same intensity as you learn these other topics in today's world so education transforming education is a must uh, with these mm. things and uh, for everyone now um 
I slightly disagree with you. Right. So I don't <laughs> think that um, being from humanities makes you any less capable of learning about AI mm. because okay so AI from the algorithms perspective it requires a lot of math and a lot of computer science understanding mm-hmm. so yes if you are doing what i am doing then you would need a hardcore understanding of math and so on so if if today if someone from stem is listening to this podcast i would tell them that if you are in stem and if you're inter- interested in math that's good and you can do great things in the algorithm sites because you have that background mm-hmm. so really kind of uh, channel your uh, you know focus energies into, and yeah. energy into that learning about how these ai algorithms ai architectures work how they are designed what is the underlying um, framework that they use and so on there's a lot of online courses now it doesn't have to be from a school you know today mm-hmm. because um, there are lots of websites like coursera uh, udemy Uh, all these online platforms which and, and I recollect you've actually shared some really useful course materials yes. for our uh, summer students for the yes. summer camp students yeah Absolutely. and they are widely available on YouTube you don't They're need to pay yeah, yeah you can just uh, maybe spend your summer two months <laughs> diving into it and uh, that's enough to get a basic understanding so maybe mm. we can share these links in we the, will definitely in the podcast yeah, that's description so that's about people who are from stem but even if you're not from stem let's say you're studying politics or if you're studying social sciences right mm-hmm. um i think you can still leverage ai in these things because ai is affecting all these things maybe even policy making will be affected by ai in the long term mm. so it is you know mandatory today to understand how these technologies work if you don't understand the math side it's fine it's still important to understand uh, how chat gpt works for example what are large language models mm. you know what is transformer you know and wh- shortcomings as well of shortcomings it, yeah. like how biased these things are because if you're a lawyer and if you're using ai as a tool you need to understand what are the limit- like you know what are the limitations of these uh, tools Yeah that's like a really that. great example because um I have a, a background in law I did my law degree and um uh I have some you know friends who are practicing lawyers so to speak and they use really rely a lot on this ai to yeah. for discovery because you, sometimes you have this hundreds of emails to and you know yeah. a, if you are paying a lawyer by the hour it will just cost a fortune but you, there are certain now uh, ai powered um software which really is helpful for that discovery side of the you know if you if you need to discover evidence or share the so it's it it, it is very widely used now so i suppose yeah. you're right it's it's like finding it's, a needle in a haystack yeah yeah and um but but then they're becoming also uh in terms of drafting documents as well so this is something which can Yeah. make your work much more effective because you can think about more on argument side dot down ideas and then just you know like the rest can be formulated but obviously the human being will still have to proofread to make sure yeah, uh, yeah. no but that's <laughs> actually accurate uh, information <laughs> <laughs> of course no that's so, that's very um, mm. that's exactly what it can be used for yeah yeah. yeah no it's um Thank you Yash it's 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 really um I'm now feeling a bit more sort of uh, uh you know reassured that uh, I'm not a hopeless case I can Of course not. no 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 yeah but uh, but definitely yes we do need to embrace and kind of keep ourselves updated on the recent developments because they can help you enormously and uh I think there was a lot of skepticism when this chat GPT mm. was launched uh, everyone in education was like that's it we lost our students everyone yeah. will be using it for you know writing essays <laughs> and that's it yeah. but um i think as long as you educate them to use it in the way which enhances your learning yeah. and it's like 
I mean, in our days, it was like coping and not referencing, you know, like coping from Wikipedia. But nowadays you can you can enhance your learning and have more time on actual research rather than, you know, certain things as you are saying with the code. You start with the and then, you know, like so it ends. Yeah, yeah, it's just saving time and energy for yeah. something which, you know, those models still cannot do. I think it's like every new technology, a breakthrough technology transforms society, how mm. society works. In this case, uh, with the example you mentioned, yes, students will now use ChatGPT to write essays. <laughs> That's going to happen. It's unavoidable, right? But I mean, you can't. Uh, you can't restrict them because uh, it's kind of actually harmful to restrict them from using this technology mm. because it's important to also understand how to use ChatGPT, right? Uh, it's not like just copy-pasting from ChatGPT. On the other hand, then you can't just evaluate them based on the essays because yeah, they haven't yeah, written exactly. them. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a different than assessment methods as well. Which exactly. You so you to, need to also yeah. transform yourself to adapt to these new, uh, you Developments. Know, new things. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. you're right. So it's a job for both students and educators. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think on a related point, I know that um, you've... You have a passion for teaching, sharing knowledge, and I very much admire it because I think it's so important, you know, when you are able to, you know, like impart that knowledge onto the younger generation to be able to inspire them. And you've been doing some teaching from your university days. Yeah. And now um, when in Oxford, while I was doing your research here, um, you also run weekly AI and robotics uh, seminars. So what do you guys cover in those? Because these are more like a extracurricular, so they're not part of the general computer science curriculum, but yeah. they are like a value added yeah. on top, uh, a cherry on top. Yeah. yeah. So what, what do you what do you explore there? You have a group of computer scientists. Um, yeah, actually, so we have um, a few students in these uh, AI and robotics club. And the motivation for this club was basically that as we discussed, you're not taught AI in the, the normal school curriculum. Mm. And if you are, then you're not taught in a more practical setting, right? Uh, so the aim of these um, club sessions is to, uh, two things. First thing is to teach them about the basics, you know, tell mm-hmm. them what uh, these AI al- algorithms are, what different types exist, you know, mm-hmm. how they work and so on. That's the first thing. The second thing is about how you actually use them. So we have, you know, uh, decided on some projects for each student. So I kind of asked them to choose what they want to do, like what excites them. So there is one student who wanted to work on, you know, uh, tracking human motion, you know, mm. with some markers. It's a very exciting idea. And um, yeah, and it, I don't know if he knows it, but it also has a lot of value, you know, in today's mm. world. So maybe, yeah. Uh, but it's a very exciting idea. And uh, from that, I think um, we have discussed a lot of technologies that we can use to make it work. And right. it's also a learning experience, right? So you actually get hands-on trials with these things like how do you actually implement this because when you learn theory it's just theory it's theory yeah but when you actually implement stuff mm -hmm. you need to understand the nitty-gritty details and how these things fail and and it's also as you're saying which idea may be great but then you may be missing parts exactly but you start breaking it down into practical steps Yeah. yeah yeah Great. So that's mainly kind of to um, introduce them to what's what's happening in AI today and yes. what are the, you know, sort of new innovative technologies yeah. and which, because I think their computer science syllabus at, yeah. you know, pre-university level, it's still very much basic, yeah. probably like, uh, yeah, what you've learned, I don't know, in the, yeah, yeah. the, the <laughs> very beginning stages of your education. Uh, but um yeah, this is really great because I think it really helps them to um, 
you know, like again, this inspiration and understanding that it's much, much bigger yeah. than what they, you know, like w- get what to learn they currently yeah, get yeah. to learn. It also kind of exposes them to what's coming, you know, uh, mm-hmm. when they enter their undergraduate degrees, they're going to be bombarded with like lots of information because uh, people from lots of diverse backgrounds will come to the university wherever they join. Yeah. And um, with these with these bombardment of information they need to be able to parse the useful stuff like you mm-hmm. know so if they have some basic exposure even though you know these are uh, still young students so they won't have the uh, kind of experience in ai yet but even though the basic kind of exposure they have to ai will help them to um, decide what they want to do actually yes. so uh, i think one of the students went to uh, london school of economics and mm-hmm. he wants to study politics but now he knows that he wants to study politics from the perspective of data science mm-hmm. and how you can use data science in politics which is a very interesting field and normally if someone did not have the exposure to ai they would not would even, even know. know of the existence yeah. of the yeah. yeah yeah no it's that's why i think you're you're doing a great job with them and uh, it's 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 fantastic you guys to see you um to actually like explore this new ideas and topics and and for them to be able to understand where they may end up in the future because they may be walking into professions which are yet to be (laughs) you know created exactly so so it's um it's fantastic and um on a related note as well you're also a tutor and a course lead for our ai and innovation summer camp and just to give a little bit of intro, this um, initiative was launched, uh, I think, in summer 2022. Last year, yeah. Yes. And um, that was after we had a, um, uh, we had the a firm from Stockholm, Pradley, the um, emerging tech consulting firm who delivered a two-day workshop for our students. I see. And they were completely sort of absorbed by all this as you were saying, we were, they were bombarded with information yeah. on yeah. all the different things like blockchain, uh, deep mind. It just, just yeah. so they were very much excited, absorbed because that was something completely novel to the obviously not taught at school at the you know like a regular through the regular curriculum, and I think this is when we teamed forces with you and designed this two week um, extracurricular course, which runs in August each year and it's the second year you're delivering it. And um, so can you talk a bit more on the sort of what you concentrate on and and yeah what you what you cover there yeah it is so exciting i I mean not just exciting it's also very gratifying because Mm. uh, like the reason i wanted to teach in general was because it's such a gratifying profession right i mean you when you impart this knowledge you have on students and they understand these things it feels very good Mm. that's like a selfish reason i got into (laughs) this but um, this ai innovation summer school was really cool in a sense that it's a very quick two-week course. In the first week, we covered uh, Python and computing fundamentals because if you want to do AI, you yeah. need to know how to code, right? Yes. Uh, so Python is like a very common programming Com- language. Programming language. Yeah, people mm. used to implement these AI algorithms. And uh, I thought it would be a good thing to go into the basics and you know teach them about these things. So we've spent the first week learning about this. Uh, it's like a crash course, very mm. quick, but... Uh, hopefully informative uh, course on Python. The second week of the course is more about AI. And uh, what we did last year and this year was that we divided the five days of the week into five different verticals because mm-hmm. AI has a lot of things, you know, it's made up of. So one is the application side, what can you do with AI? Mm-hmm. One is the algorithm side, you know, how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is about AI ethics and safety. You know, how can this be harmful? 
uh, what you need to be aware of and how can you take measures to you know mitigate the risks mitigate with ai the, yeah, so that's something mm-hmm. we talk about and uh, we also talk about some uh, things that the students are excited about so this year we had a larger group i think uh, 11 students i think you had yeah like in excess of 10 10 11 students exactly yeah. and uh, all of them were you know uh, someone from from a art background someone was from a business background yes it was a, it was a mix Diverse but mix, i was yeah. actually worried about you i was thinking gosh how he's going <laughs> to manage them all because we, i think originally when we launched this course here travel um last summer it was we were purely targeting computer science yeah. students so at least those with some basic understanding of you know programming language so at least they can start you know pick up, yeah. pick up quicker yeah but i think this year we were uh, a little bit more liberal in terms <laughs> of uh who because we had some really interested in indiv- who were, who wanted to learn yeah. but they just may have and i remember i had inquiries saying i just going to do some reading like you know two days before the, share some like notes personally uh, motivated yeah, students yeah but like and and yeah. you don't want to um you know turn them down of so course, you just yeah so yeah. so but i think they were quite um they picked up fairly quickly and yeah. um, so the the thing with uh, this generation you know i'm like really amazed is when i was their age i'm old <laughs> but when i was their age uh, i did not have this kind of knowledge about other things you know maybe it's the internet maybe it's the society you know how it has transformed but today's you know young generation they have things at their fingertips yeah, and they're yeah. taking the most advantage of that because uh, as i said like these students were from computer science from math from art from business but it did not feel like they did not know what ai is mm. because they already had such a prior knowledge about all these things they knew how chatgpt works already before even mm. before even i taught them about that and uh, so it was um, like they could absorb much more of what i said than normally uh, a person like me would you know yeah. in, in those days because so, i suppose the access to information now and you know exactly. like if you're interested and motivated you can get to yes, yeah yes. you can really sort of like self self teach yourself or at least you know like get at least research read up stuff. Yeah, yeah read up yeah. things and so it's very exciting like uh Yeah. Great. No, it was and and I and this year it was actually an in-person course because yeah. we did last year it was a pilot it project was it was online and yeah. yeah and it was I think it was just like a relic of coronavirus <laughs> you know so to, but um yeah and it was great that you know the interaction and uh, then they worked in groups yeah. and there was also a second element where we introduced entrepreneurship yes. seminars as well so kind of put all this element into okay how you can capitalize on it and you know mm. like i don't know do a startup yeah. you know, so so yeah. that was really great for for yeah. them as well wonderful um right so now a bit coming back to your research yeah. and i know you travel a lot <laughs> and uh I'm that's why I'm so happy that we managed to make this happen because you can't complain here. Yeah. <laughs> and um so what's next on your sort of uh what's up next you know on your agenda in terms of where where you taking your research because you do conferences yeah. yeah as a part of your yes. research, research team in the university. Yeah. So the reason I get to travel is because mm. um, in a PhD you know research you publish papers like mm. you publish your ideas uh, there's a very very you know strong peer review process which you have to go through it's highly competitive which has a h- very high bar 
so your paper your idea has to be really really good to get into a conference a top tier conference in like mm-hmm. computer vision it's also because of the competition because uh, everyone in the world wants to work on ai mm-hmm. that makes things a bit difficult for me because the amount of competition there is compared to the last decade it's enormous so uh, it's like it's super fast i need to be updated on all the things but we publish papers and then um, these conferences happen at different locations in the in mm-hmm. the world so i went to vancouver in in june for a conference called cvpr mm-hmm. so cvpr stands for computer vision and pattern recognition so it's the top conference in computer vision and one of the top conferences in general like it's crazy because you know nature right so nature yeah. has this uh, paper from biosciences like chemistry physics all these things so nature is like the top journal you know in compared to all of sciences like if you think about humanities computer science math everything nature is at top so cvpr is like at rank number 4 even though it is just computer vision it is still like so popular and mm. uh, the kind of h index the every conference has like this index called h index it is so high that it's like at number 4 in the entire world so it is crazy like how uh, how, how big it just, ai like, is up. Yeah. yeah it's because of how popular like you know computer vision has become now but uh, so i went there and it's like 20,000 people at the wow. single conference it's crowded in a single building <laughs> so it was exciting that was the thing i did and um, so is this you prepare a presentation on your research and sort of like would you um you know like the uh, like the product of your research so to speak yeah, yeah? i mean on paper the the reason we go to conferences is to present our paper and it's just like a, uh, it's very simple it's not that exciting it's mm-hmm. just a poster we make a poster and we stand <laughs> in a big crowd and people come ask questions <laughs> exactly it's, it's it's not that you know uh, as fancy as we think it would be but um, but you tend to network as well exactly like the, the real thing. reason is networking like you meet mm-hmm. so many people in the world uh people from you know europe asia you know, america everyone at the same place and not just students but like the big names are there too mm-hmm. you know so you get to really meet them in person and you know, talk about your stuff and get some feedback and things like that even companies come so google uh qualcom meta all these companies have like their booth at the mm-hmm. conference expo and you can go talk to recruiters you know and get some jobs yes i suppose because this is how they are you know recruiting talent They're as hiring. well yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so that's um it's like a stamp you know like uh, if you pass an exam that shows that you're good at something so having a paper at this conference is also like a uh, like it increases your chance to get a job so right. they come to these places to kind of scoop the, the top <laughs> talent <laughs> Oh no that's that's great. So what when is your next trip? I'm going to a conference in December. It's happening in New Orleans in the US. Okay. And it's called NeurIPS. So NeurIPS stands for Neural Information Processing Systems mm-hmm. and uh, it's also a top conference in AI. It is not specific to computer vision. It's just everything of AI. So all people working in AI in every application submit papers and come to the conference. So it's also very exciting and uh, we'll be going there for like 6 days. Great. Have lots of good food. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just before Christmas. Yes, yeah. I'm Great. going to India after that. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Yes. So you're going to enjoy the nice weather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Away from the cold. Yeah, you went last year as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. then Prachi refused to go back. Yeah. So it was just like, <laughs> you go, I'll be later. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's fantastic. Yash, thank you. Um, I it's it it's been fascinating fascinating journey and and I think I've learned a lot and I hope uh, our listeners have enjoyed and um yeah. I I hope to then um share it with you or also your bunch of students yeah. uh let them Absolutely. you know like 
hear it out. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I suppose just to wrap up our discussion, and we touched on it a bit earlier on in conversation, because we're still a, you know, we're still a school, a pre-university tutorial college. We are very fortunate to be in Oxford, you know, at the center yeah. of knowledge and um, being able to be, you know, surrounded and get talented tutors like yourself who are researchers in the university but still doing tutoring yeah. um at the you know like pre-university level and i think in this way our students gain enormous advantage and, and knowledge to be able to be taught by such passionate you know tutors and and, <laughs> and and experts how you see from your experience teaching at a, at a school how you see the education system sort of developing in future we would I suppose we'll need to rethink the ways we are we yeah. are teaching our young people and um, what do you want to see more in the school curriculum to, to better prepare um, the young minds for the, you know, for the future ahead? And that's such a question. So um, very broad question. I'm very no, sorry. I mean, it's going to uh, be probably not the same. <laughs> minutes discussion. No, I, 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 I'm actually glad we are talking about this because uh, let me start by saying that. So I want so education is like one of the big areas I want to work in in the future. Mm. And it began because um, I come from India, right, originally. And I come from a rural place. And um, it, from the place where I did my pre-college pre education, like pre-university education, uh, the access to like top-notch education was very rare. Like compared to that, when I see like the GCSE curriculum in the mm. UK in, at Cherwell, it's much, much like so amazing. Like, you know, the kind of stuff the students learn. So in general, like, around the entire world, not just in Oxford or UK, like under the GCSE curriculum, but in India also, and maybe in the US also, I think the, the narrative about education needs to change a lot. Mm. So a lot of education today is focused on things which are not that applicable in the real world or society. Um, and uh, as a student, you know, personally, I hated geography and history. <laughs> I mean, I was like, why am I learning this? Uh, it's, it's, it's not correct, uh, the kind of thinking I had, but, I also think it's um, it kind of makes a point in a way that I was excited about mathematics a lot in my childhood. Mm -hmm. I was good at that, but I did not get the kind of guidance that would have made my life much easier, right? So, mm -hmm. so I had to kind of go in a roundabout way to learn about things I was excited about because I had to spend so much time on learning things I was not excited about. Mm -hmm. So, on the same lines, um, AI is a similar thing today because if a student is genuinely excited about AI and they want to learn about this, they should, like, it should be easy for them to learn about this, right? The so, access to information and teaching, I exactly. suppose. Not mm. just, I mean, yes, the access is one thing, uh, like, they should be able to learn, so there should be access and, like, resources and teachers to teach them about that. At the same time, they should be taught enough background in their normal curriculum, which will prepare them to learn about AI. Mm. So learning about AI needs a bit of math, a bit of computer science, a bit of coding. Uh, around the world, it's rare to find schools that teach coding. At Charval, you know, it's great that students actually learn about coding from their, you know, GCSE A levels level. itself. Mm. But uh, in India, for example, like I had no idea about what coding is. I thought coding is something like Morse code or something. It's <laughs> embarrassing. I, I had no idea it means programming. So it's it's that sort of unawareness, right? So mm. like that's la lack of expo exposure students. So have. introducing it early in the curriculum, at so least make them aware of these things and and making them aware. Yeah, yes. like so not to go like hardcore coding, <laughs> but you know uh, there to are discourage uh, their interest completely. There are a lot of things. So there's a uh, a tool called Scribble 
So yeah. Scribble is like a very playful programming language. It's not like Python where you have to like take a computer and like implement mm-hmm. things, but it's like blocks. You know, you build like a structure out of Lego blocks. Yeah. So it's like you know lots of blocks that you join together and make algorithms. So it's like interactive. Interactive, way fun of way of teaching mm-hmm. what algorithms are to kids, right? So I think these kind of uh, transformations in education need to happen because. So realistically speaking, you can't teach hardcore AI to a student who is 13 years old unless they are a prodigy, right? Mm. But um, you can make like you need to transform the education in such a way that you can make AI fun, accessible, not overwhelming, but at the same time informative enough that the student actually learns about it, right? Yeah. So uh, a lot of investment needs to happen in education of how we can teach AI, right? So how we can you know. introduce these concepts to the students so that they understand it and so on so i think these things need to happen and also have tutors like yourself as well because yeah, yeah bring it, in it, like real world exper- yeah, expertise yeah yes because you want to make it applicable to why we want to do it because the new generation now asks it, questions yeah. like, why do we need to learn why do we so i suppose yeah. that's so it's not like a, yeah. a fixed curriculum because uh, since it's a cutting edge it's like edge, a kind of like a work in evolving, progress yeah, yeah well, very and fast evolving exactly well. very very fast yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you can't have like a, a nation- nationwide curriculum which is yeah, taught every year. It needs to adapt publish itself. Publish a book and use it for the next ten years. Yeah, yeah. that won't work here. <laughs> no, yeah. it's oh my gosh, it's it's been such an exciting and enlightening conversation. Thank you so much, Yash. Absolutely, I, I've absolutely yeah. enjoyed, <laughs> uh, and um, I hope we hear more from you. And I'll see you at school. It's our half-term break, but yeah, yeah. AI club back in the session. Next and I, week. I need to see this. I am really excited about how Chervel is, you know, uh, adopting these new things. Uh, I think you brought me in. You have also brought in like other people who and mm. teach students about these uh, revolutionary technologies and uh, not just technologies, ideas, mm. right? And uh, it's very exciting. I think this is something that schools around UK and around the world should adopt doing. um it's hard to say how i don't yeah, know you know yeah. but, uh, but the process should start to, yeah yeah it will evolve you know people will learn slowly how to do these things but they should start thank you no it's uh, it's great and it's as i say even for us you know staff tutors it's fascinating to see how um you know how we can implement these things yeah. both workplace and then for students because yes you you've got to embrace new technologies and and there is no way <laughs> if we are to inhabit this world <laughs> yeah. so uh, thank you so much yash yeah, and thank you so um, much for bringing me in <laughs> yes and um we are finishing our episode 2 and i am very thankful to our listeners and i hope to hear back from you in our comment section and i'll see you for episode 3